0: Well, good morning everybody and welcome to all of you. It's great to have you here. My name is Warren Wright and I'm a leader here at GFC and as always it is my privilege to open God's Word with you today. Thank you Jeff for one man show of everything you did up here today. That was great. Um, so you've heard all the announcements about childcare. There's also a mother and babies room over there. So we can dive straight in. Are you ready? So there I was swimming with sharks. Great way to open a sermon. Yes, I was willingly scuba diving in the midst of about 20 to 30 ragged tooth reef sharks. Each of the sharks was about 6 to 10 feet long and I was about 30 feet below the surface of the ocean and I was not in a cage. Some of you may be wondering why on earth was he willingly swimming with sharks? That's a great question. Thank you for asking. It's a good question because most sane people Would never willingly swim with sharks. What takes a person from, I will never swim with sharks, to, I will swim with sharks? The answer is this. That person, me in this case, has been assured that they will be fine. Here's how it happened for me. (coughs) Excuse me. Before I started scuba diving, I was like many of you, firmly convinced that I would never swim with sharks. Because sharks are monsters that eat people, right? That's what the movies tell us. But after I'd been in a few dives, my experience made me less fearful of the sea. The dives I'd been on were wonderful adventures, and the magnificence of God's creation was truly breathtaking. I'd become convinced that the inhabitants of the ocean mostly wanted to be left alone. We'd even seen a few sharks in the distance, and they seemed quite uninterested in us. Thus, my limited experience convinced me and assured me that sharks don't automatically attack on sight. The second bit of assurance was that the dive master told me that we would be safe. This was a man with a lot of experience. He had done this dive before, and if he said I was going to be fine, who was I to argue? So, a little bit of experience and the testimony of somebody trustworthy... It's just these two things that took me from I will never dive with sharks to I will dive with sharks. Maybe there was something in the air, but anyway. These two things were my assurance of safety. Now, of course, all of that assurance doesn't do a whole lot when you have a 10-foot shark trying to play chicken with you. Let's just say I was the chicken. The reason why I have told you this story is that I wanted to highlight the power of assurance. Today we will be doing an overview of First John, and the main point of first one is assurance, the assurance of eternal life. In my story, I mentioned two things that gave me assurance of safety, a little bit of experience and the testimony of somebody trustworthy. In the epistle of First John, we will see that John gives us three criteria, three tests, which we can apply to ourselves in order to determine if we have eternal life. These tests are the assurance of eternal life. And that's the title of today's sermon is, Are You Assured? So what are these tests? Well, as an answer, let me tell you the main point of the sermon and indeed the main point of the epistle of first John. Ready? Here goes. Obeying his commandments, loving the brethren and confessing Jesus as the Christ. These are the assurances of eternal life. Let me say that again. Obeying his commandments, loving the brethren, and confessing Jesus as the Christ, these are the assurances of eternal life. Let me quickly pray for us. Father, your word today speaks to us of the assurance of eternal life. Please impact our hearts with these tests, Lord. Either produce in us the great joy, because we are assured, or produce in us repentance that leads to great joy. Lord, open our hearts to hear and learn, and give me the grace to preach faithfully and clearly. Amen. Before we dive into the text, let me give you a little bit of context for today's sermon. As a church, we just finished studying the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John has a a different focus than the epistles of John, but it's not very hard to tie them together. John Stott's commentary on the Gospel of John, uh, sorry, on John's epistles, he writes this. John wrote the Gospels for unbelievers in order to arouse their faith, and he wrote the epistle for believers in order to deepen their assurance. His desire for the readers of the Gospel was that through faith they might receive life, and for the readers of the epistle, that they might know that they already had it. Another way to get the connection between the gospel and the epistle is to ask the question, what is next? What is next after you have first believed in Jesus? Well, the epistle's answer to that is, be sure of your belief. The next step is assurance. Today's sermon is an overview of the first epistle of John. If we were doing a Bible study, we would spend time digging deep into authorship, dates and locations, but... I encourage you to look at that in your own time. Today we're going to try and focus on the main points. But I will say this, that it is most likely that John the Apostle wrote these epistles somewhere between 75 and 100 AD from the city of Ephesus and his intended audience was the local and surrounding churches. Just to give you a little bit of context. So at GFC we usually focus on one passage and dig really narrow and deep. In today's overview sermon, I'll quote from quite a few places and try to give a more broad overview. So be ready to flip around. I'll give you page numbers. It's not a very long book anyway. Uh, so be ready to flip around as you try to get to the main point of the book. So how does one get to the main point of a book? Sometimes it's through a deep study of the arguments that the author presents, his flow of thought. In First John, it's a little easier, because the, the author tells us in, in quite a few places what the point is. Four times he has the statement that says, I write these things to you because, or so that, and he gives a reason. And today's sermon will just be a guided tour through those four reasons that he gives for writing this book. So, the quick outline is the outline that you have in your chair. We'll be looking at, as these reasons lead us to these tests of assurance, of obedience and loving the brethren, and confessing Jesus as the Christ. And then we'll look at the first four verses of chapter 1 as a way of looking At the eternal life these assurances assure us of. And then finally we'll look at application. Alright, let's dive in. Turn to page 660 if you have the church Bible, otherwise it's 1 John 1. And verse 4, it's the first of these write these things comments. 1 John 1 verse 4, And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So remember that whatever follows is for joy. Some manuscripts actually say for your joy. So the point here is just to remember that these assurances are intended for joy. So remember that as we continue. So let's skip a little to the next occasion where he has time to write down uh, write these things comment. It's in chapter two, verses one. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We will actually be showing two assurances from uh, from this scripture. The first one is obvious. Obey the commandments. Don't sin. So this is the first point on your outline. It's assurance test number one. Do you obey his commandments? Have a look at just a little further down in 1 John 2 verses 3 to 6. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way which he walked. The idea of obedience as proof of eternal life is mentioned quite a few times in this book. And so the test is simple. Do you obey the commandments of Jesus? Notice that perfect obedience is not the point of the test. In uh, 2 verses 1, he said that if you sin, you have an advocate. So perfect obedience is not the point. Rather, it's more an emphasis on change, an emphasis on progress, on a direction. So are you growing in your obedience to the commands of Jesus? If you look back over the time since you became a Christian, do you see any change in your behavior? How about over the last year? Do you even know what needs to be changed? There is a lot we can talk about here. Things like, what commandments? How should I change? How much change? What if I don't change? But I'm going to leave these details to the preachers who will be talking on this passage in the coming weeks. Today, I just want to focus on the main point. And the main point is this. Do you want assurance of eternal life? Well then, do you keep His commandments? Are they important to you? If you keep His commandments, then be assured you have eternal life. So, are you assured? In chapter 4, verse 21, John writes, In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Remember that write these things comment that we had in 2, verse 3, By this we know that we have come to know him, that if we keep his commandments. So there's a second assurance to be had in there. And it's a specific example of obedience that John repeatedly highlights in this epistle. And this is now the second assurance test in your outline. Have a look at 2 verses 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And chapter 3 verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Sorry, that's 2 verse 10. 3 verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So these are just two verses amongst many that point to the importance of loving the brethren. Now the context of 1 John makes it clear that when he says brother, most of the time he means the male and female members of the church of Jesus. So again, the test is simple. Do you love Christians? In John, there are three explicit examples of this love that he mentions. There's laying down your life, there's helping the needy, and there's praying for the wayward. And so in your interactions with members of the church, do you sacrifice your time, your money, your preferences for others? Do you help those in need? Do you know who is in need? Do you pray for one another? When somebody at your church at our church, behaves badly, what do you do? Maybe they ignored you or they were unkind to your friend or perhaps they disagreed with you in conversation or in a small group discussion. Do you plan your revenge? Or do you pray for God to help them, to breathe life into them? Again, this is a rich topic. There's so much to be said here, but I'll leave it to the preachers who will be talking about this specific assurance later on. Instead, let's get to the main point again. And the main point is this. Do you want assurance of eternal life? Well then, do you love the brethren? If you love the brethren, be assured you have eternal life. So, are you assured? There's been a lot of details so far, so let me quickly summarize. The main point is that obeying his commandments, loving the brethren and confessing Jesus... As the Christ, these are the assurances of eternal life. And so far we've looked at the first two, obedience and loving the brethren. But there is another aspect of obedience that is repeatedly highlighted in 1 John. And that is of keeping the faith pure. It is of not changing the central truths. And it is in fact another of the reasons why this book was written. Have a look at uh, 1 John 2 verse 26. And this is the third write these things comment. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. The primary deceptions that John faced when he was writing was that people had wrong ideas about who Jesus was. And this leads us to our third test of assurance that we can see in First John. It's the third one on your outline. It's assurance test number three. Do you confess Jesus as the Christ? Let's have a look at three verses to support this. In 1 John 2, verse 22, so just a little up from where we were, it says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. In 1 John 4, verses 2 and 3, so on the next page, John writes, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And then in John 5 verse 1, in the last chapter, John writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Last week... Dan explained what Christ meant. He told us that Christ is not Jesus' surname, not his last name. In fact, Jesus means the same thing as Messiah, and they both mean anointed one. An anointed one means someone set apart for a special purpose by God. But Dan went further. He showed us that Jesus as the Christ implies that Jesus was simultaneously fully divine the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And he was fully man, the fleshly Son of Mary, the representative of those who are saved. So, once again, the test is simple. Do you confess that Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe it? If you do believe it, do you confess it? If I were to come to you and ask you what you thought of Jesus, what would you say? What about if your boss came to you and asked you that question? or family, or friends, or co-workers. This is the most clear, uncomplicated assurance on a list of clear, uncomplicated assurances. So remember the write these things comment, where he said, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So who was it that was trying to deceive the church? Well, there was a man by the name of Cerinthus who was a resident of Ephesus at the same time that John the Apostle was a, res- was a resident of Ephesus. Now, Cerinthus had all sorts of wacky ideas about God and Jesus. He claimed that God and the creator of the world were different, and he also claimed that Jesus was only the Christ between baptism and death, amongst other things. Unfortunately, many people believed his lies, and in fact, some scholars believe that 1 John was written with the express purpose to oppose Cerinthus, And I think that is true, in part, at least. To give you an idea of how important opposing Cerinthus was to the Apostle John, let me tell you a little story about John and Cerinthus. This story is not Holy Spirit-inspired scripture, but it does come to us through a trustworthy source. It comes to us through a gentleman by the name of Irenaeus. He was a second-century theologian. And he was acquainted with Polycarp, who was John's disciple. Anyway, he relates the story. He says that John, the disciple of our Lord, he went to bathe in Ephesus. He went for a bath, but they were public baths. And when he got there, he got in the water and he saw that Cerinthus was also there. He leapt from the bath without bathing, ran out and said, Let us flee, lest the bath fall, for Cerinthus, the enemy of truth, is within It's really important to understand who Jesus is. To understand what the Christ means. Important enough for us to flee false doctrines as more dirty than a sweaty body. It is really important that we confess Jesus as the Christ. Because, do you want assurance of eternal life? Well then, do you confess Jesus as the Christ? both fully divine and fully man. If you confess Jesus is the Christ, then be assured you have eternal life. And so are you assured. Remember, obeying his commandments, loving the brethren, and confessing Jesus is the Christ. These are the assurances of eternal life. So far, we have talked about the three assurances that I just mentioned. But the question is, what do they assure you of? Well, we've had a variety of answers so far. We are assured that we have come to know Him. We have the truth. The love of God is in us. We abide in Him. We are assured that we are in the light. We love God. and We are children of God. But how does one summarize that long list of assurances? It's great because John tells us. And this is the fourth of the write these things comments. Please turn to 1 John 5 verse 13 on page six sixty two, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now we're on to the fourth point of the outline: the assurance of eternal life. This verse is the most descriptive of the main point of the gospel. Sorry, of the book of First John. It clearly makes the point that I have repeated so many times. The point is the assurance of eternal life that's what all these tests reveal but of course but of course assurance of eternal life doesn't mean a whole lot if you don't believe in eternal life at all to start with john talks about this question at the very start of his book so let's have a quick read of first john 1 verses 1 through 4 right at the beginning and i'm going to put some emphasis on some words so we can observe them well all right Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. Let's start off with a few observations. Did you notice the repeated emphasis on the sensory evidence? He had seen it three times. three times. He had heard it twice and touched it once. And all this evidence was pointing to what? It was pointing to life, eternal life. The receipt or the gaining of this life then leads to fellowship with the Father and His Son Jesus Christ and also with all those who similarly believe. So what is John trying to communicate here? What is he trying to get across? I think this is just another assurance. The assurance that eternal life is available. The assurance is the testimony of those who have seen, heard, touched it. John starts his letter with the theme of eternal life. Let's have a look at where he ends his letter. In chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, he writes, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So the life that he spoke about, that he has seen, heard, and touched... That life is rooted in Jesus. It extends out of Jesus. The point of eternal life is Jesus. And we see in verses 3 and 4 that the eternal life is about fellowship with Jesus. And it is joyful. Anyway, John starts his epistle with the main point of his gospel. The only path to eternal life is through Jesus Christ. The rest of John deals mainly with how we can be assured that we have that. So let me give the main points again. Obedience to his commandments, loving the brethren, and confessing that Jesus is the Christ. These are the assurances of eternal life. Let's spend the rest of the sermon now talking about application. And it will be the fifth point on your outline. The great thing about the, the first epistle of John is that John does not leave the question of, am I saved? He does not leave that question dark and mysterious. He gives us simple criteria by which we can judge if we are in the faith or not. And we can judge if others are in the faith or not. And that may seem harsh and judgmental, but it is actually a matter of love and safety to know the difference between who you should believe and listen to and who you shouldn't. So, by way of application, how do you compare when you compare yourself to the three criteria. Do you obey Jesus' commandments? Do you love the brethren? Do you confess that Jesus is the Christ? How about those you trust and listen to? How do they compare? There are two answers that you could have when comparing yourself to these tests. The first one, you compare favorably. And I actually expect that most sincere believers here will fall into this category. Yes, you can always do more. You can obey more perfectly. You can love more sacrificially. You can confess more boldly and wisely. But remember, this is not about some level you must attain to. It's more about, is obedience important? Are you growing in obedience? And love is not about warm, fuzzy feelings, although we can include those. It's not a subjective thing. Do you serve one another? Do you pray for one another? Do you believe and confess that Jesus is the Christ? If so, then be assured, be comforted. You are saved. You have eternal life. The most joyful thing on earth is yours. And let that empower how you live. Yes, repent of imperfect obedience and selfish lovelessness. But don't let the mere presence of sin rob you of the joy of the assurance of eternal life. Let me say that again. Don't let the mere presence of sin rob you of the joy of the assurance of eternal life. But what if you pass these tests and you are still not comforted? I can give you two reasons perhaps why that is true. Perhaps you believe that you it can't possibly be this simple. These three simple tests. How could that be that simple? Well, be careful. This is often just another way of saying that you have something to add to your salvation. Another way of saying that Jesus is not enough. So my advice in this case is to, is to repent of thinking you have something to add. Pray for faith to firmly believe that the gospel really is simple. It is all and only about Jesus. By the way... This is actually my major application. I often overcomplicate my relationship with God. Things like, I procrastinated again and so I'm a lazy slob and I need to get things right before God can listen to me again. Or I was mean to my wife. Again, I guess, well, God's going to just have to ignore me for a while now. I need to remind myself that while I need to repent of those sins, my assurance of eternal life is not based on my perfection. I found preparing the sermon to be quite liberating. As I've come to understand what these assurances mean, uh, it's a very joyful thing, and I hope to share that with you today. But perhaps you are not comforted because you think that your sin is too severe beyond the reach of the blood of Christ, and that simple tests like confession and obedience don't really aren't powerful enough to mean anything. Well, these tests are simple. But they are based on something extremely momentous. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, bought this simplicity with his life. The only innocent man was condemned in order to purchase eternal life for us. Do not think that your sin is more powerful than Jesus' sacrifice. These assurances are in fact only assuring because they are based upon Jesus and his sacrifice. I said that there were two options that you could have when you compared yourself to the tests, and the first one was you compared favorably. The second one is what happens if you do not compare favorably with one or more of these tests. Now, the Epistle of First John makes it quite clear that these three tests are linked. You cannot fail any of them without failing all of them. And it is all three or no assurance. I'm not talking about focusing on your failures. If that was the point, then nobody could be assured. Remember, we have an advocate, Jesus. I'm speaking more to those who are convinced that there is little to no evidence that you pass one or more of these tests. On the contrary, I'm talking about those whose lives generally display quite the opposite. For instance, perhaps you simply cannot believe that Jesus was God. Or you think that the commands of Jesus, they're nice, but take them or leave them. Or you refuse to love Christians because you think loving people is dumb. They're going to disappoint you and let you down anyway, right? If that describes you, then I submit to you that according to the infallible Word of God, you have no assurance of eternal life. If that bothers you or saddens you, then I have good news for you the situation is easily fixed. Repent and believe in Jesus as your only hope. This is in fact a process that should be very familiar to Christians who have been Christians for a while. God often shows us new levels of our sin and causes us to cast ourselves again on Jesus and dependence upon his sacrifice. It's the same thing we did when we first became Christians. If these things weigh heavily upon you, then I encourage you to talk to somebody about it. Get godly counsel. Furthermore, remember that in the coming weeks, GFC will be diving into these assurances in much greater depth. So stay tuned as God speaks to us from his word. Assurances are powerful things. The assurance of safety convinced me to swim with sharks. What do you think the assurance of eternal life could do for you? Do you think you might live with, uh, with more joy if you were certain you had eternal life? If you were certain that you would spend eternity in fellowship with Jesus? Do you think that joy might be a tad infectious? People might actually notice that you're a happy person? In summary, today we've had the privilege of looking at the whole of the book of 1 John. We have seen that the main point of the book is the assurance of eternal life. John gives us three simple tests. Do you obey Jesus' commandments? Do you love the brethren? Do you confess that Jesus is the Christ? The application is straightforward. When you apply these tests to yourself, are you assured? Remember, this issue can't be more important couldn't be more important. Eternity is at stake here. Your joy is at stake here. Let us pray. Father, thank you for not leaving our assurance up to our feelings. Thank you for giving us simple criteria that we might employ. Lord, for the majority of us who honestly feel that we pass these tests, please work the assurance of eternal life deep into our hearts. Please produce in us and untouchable joy that the world may see and thereby turn and glorify you. May we continue to grow and thus be all the more assured of your gracious gift. But Lord, for those of us who are convinced and convicted that we do not meet these tests, have mercy and move our hearts to repentance so that we too may enjoy the assurance of eternal life. Please bless all of those who will be preaching on First John in the coming weeks. And may your word abound to your glory and your name. In Jesus' name, amen.